Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prey. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And as we dive into this Wednesday, that means it's a mailbag. And we've got a lot of good questions that have been submitted by you, the Duck Reader, uh, the Duck Fan, about Oregon football, Oregon football recruiting, a wide range of topics. And before we dive into today's show, I just want to remind people out there that we are currently running a promotion right now. Today is the last day for a VIP membership promotion. You can get two months for $1 or 30% off your annual membership. That's huge savings on, on, on both sides of the membership. And today, June 17th, is the last day that this promotion will be going on to be able to activate a two months for $1 or 30% off an annual VIP membership. And you're already saving over $44 uh, before we take off the 30% from your annual membership opposed to the month to month. So if, if you go the annual route, you are saving a huge chunk of money on your VIP membership. Uh, and you get inside access, you get fewer ads, you get access to people like Eric, myself, uh, Kevin Wade, and a ton of other national writers across the country for 24-7 sports for either membership. So highly encourage you guys to do that. If you really enjoy these podcasts, that is the most impactful way to support Eric and I uh, for, for continuing to do these. Uh, because by subscribing to the site, we can continue to do more podcasts. Uh, if you don't want to subscribe or can't subscribe at this time, but still want to support the podcast, you can do so by sharing it. You can you can give us reviews. That helps us as well. Uh, and straight up listening to the podcast. So let's dive into the first of six questions that we've got on today's mailbag. You're doing this a little bit differently. These questions come from the duck territory yeah from the from the message board here so these are not your typical twitter handles i'll be reading these are going to be duck territory handles so the first comes from legal duck all right i don't like to admit this but i think once again we may likely have a hard time winning against the ohio state if we lose the, that game we likely have to be the first team ever to go undefeated in pac 12 play to make the playoffs how likely is that to happen? What conference games do you see being the greatest challenge for our Ducks? Um, I think a good question, and let's start with the first, the first part here. Um, I, I'm probably in agreement in terms of I don't think Oregon has any margin for error or has very little margin for error in Pac-12 play if it loses to Ohio State. And I think the only way there's really any margin for error and they could maybe drop one game is if there's just total chaos around the country because we've seen it now in the college football playoffs over the course of of the last six years where you really aren't given much of an opportunity if you're entering with two losses. Some teams enter with one loss and don't really have much of an opportunity. So I think that part is right. I agree that I do think you would have to run through the Pac-12 with a perfect 9-0 record, which Legal Duck acknowledges has not happened during Pac-12 play. You have to go back to Oregon's 2010 season when they went 9-0, and that was the last year they were in the Pac-10 um, to get there. So uh, it would take something that has not happened in a long time. Um, 
I have a couple games in my mind, Matt, that stand out that are the toughest. Do you want to run through a couple that you think are yeah, sure. be the most challenging? I mean, I, I, I do agree that if, if Oregon is to lose to Ohio State, history shows that you have to win the remaining games on your schedule. Um, it, 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 it hasn't happened from a Pac-12 school. Um, so I, ideally, you want to get through that non-conference unscathed that way that you have some kind of buffer of, of having a, a loss to your name and still being able to get in through conference play. But if, if Oregon were to lose to Ohio State, there's going to be a couple games that are trap games that I think are, are going to be deadly. The first one that pops in my mind is the third Pac-12 game of the season, the second road game of the conference season, and that is uh, a seven, uh, October 17th game against California. Now, I, I will say they, this comes off the heels of Washington at home, but Oregon gets a bye week going into that California game. So that helps. Um, Cal is going to be, I think, the, the biggest challenger in the Pac-12 North in the 2020 football season. They've got a ton of starters back on both sides of the football. Justin Wilcox's program has always played elite defense. And their offense is getting a little bit better. And they, they took big strides last year when, when Garbers, their quarterback, was healthy. When he was hurt, they were obviously a different team. Um, but California, I think that might be just the toughest game on, on Oregon's schedule because from a Pac-12 perspective. Because Washington and USC are at home. And while Washington and USC and even Arizona State are more talented teams, and even Stanford maybe, um, Oregon gets, to, gets the luxury of, of not having to travel for, for playing at Cal. So that, that would be my first one. And then that Arizona State game is one that concerns me a little bit just because they've had some history of playing well against Oregon. Uh, it's on a short week after Oregon plays USC, which I mean, we were – Eric, you and I were, were at that USC game last year of how you know, blown up that was from you know, a rivalry and a tense perspective from the players. Uh, I imagine that's going to be much of the same. And you know, Oregon will then have a short week to, to bounce back from that USC game and, and, and play, at U, uh, play at home against ASU. But if you want to circle a late season game that scares the heck out of me, I don't think the Cougars are going to be – Mm-hmm. a top three team in the conference, but playing in Pullman in late November after playing USC and playing Arizona state, that's another one that's really going to scare me. Yeah. I think the more I look at this, the more that game on November 21st. And I agree with a lot of your logic earlier in terms of, I think that Cal game, probably just anybody looking at the schedule, knowing what we know about these schools and kind of what the hierarchy is supposed to be realizes that that's probably Honestly, it's probably Oregon's signature Pac-12 game. Um, it has that chance to, at least right now, it feels like that'll be um, a game that could de- determine the Pac-12 North. And in fact, I think I'm looking at this, and I'll get to a later point in a second here, but just we're going to know by October 24th, you know, it, once again, probably early, early on, if Oregon's going to win the Pac-12 North because Oregon plays Washington, Cal, and Stanford in three consecutive weeks in October. And if they were to win all three of those games, um, I think they'd be in great shape to repeat in the Pac-12 North with still having to play the majority of their schedule. But Back to your point on Washington State, I'm in complete agreement. I think that was the one looking at it because it is a trap game um, in terms of they just have played two tough games at home against really good Pac-12 South teams. I'm going to guess between USC and Arizona State, 
one of those teams is probably going to win the Pac-12 South. I think Utah's the other school you look at, but those two teams are definitely in the conversation there. Um, and so they get through those two games. That could be a sigh of relief game. And we know what happened a couple of years ago, back in 2018, when Oregon kind of bre- you know breathed the sigh of relief after beating Washington at home and had to go to Pullman the next week, how difficult that was. And I even think you have to look at this game against Oregon State and Corvallis. I mean, the Beavers are getting better. I know they're not Oregon's talent level, and we've, that's been pretty clear over the last couple of years. But think about the difference in disparity between the 2017 and 2018 Oregon State teams and, and the Oregon teams and the Civil Wars and how lopsided those games went. Um, and then last year where the game was at least relatively competitive, and that was with Oregon State missing its starting quarterback. So um, I think we're on the same page a lot. I think that Washington State and the Cal game, probably the two, to me, that stand out the most, despite there being a lot of games in between that could get kind of difficult. Um, and I think one thing we should note as well is like, don't also overlook the fact that they open the season with North Dakota State. And I know I've said this before, I don't think that's a guarantee like blowout win. I think Oregon wins that game, but I would expect them to be challenged there. And that's a scenario where if somehow, you know, I'm knocking on all the wood that I can around me in my apartment. If that is a game Oregon drops North Dakota State, they play Ohio State the next week. It's like if they start 0-2, this whole thing gets tossed out the window. So um, this is a tough schedule, and that's the thing we discussed a lot. I know when the schedule kind of became finalized um, during the fall, uh, just of how difficult this one could be to, to, to kind of get through. And, and I think um, Legal Duck shares some of our concerns as well. There 100% is, uh, I feel like, a top-heavy part of this schedule. I mean, Agreed. yeah. If, if you get through basically October – and that first week in November when you play USC and you have three, your final three games, ASU, Washington State, and Oregon State, on paper, Oregon State and the, and the Cougars, they should not be Pac-12 contenders in 2020. It would be, it, it would be a pretty much surprise if, if either of those teams were playing for a conference championship appearance uh, in November. ASU, you could argue they could get there, but Oregon gets them at home. And so if you can get through that first three, you know, get, get through the, you know, the first two months unscathed in conference play, you've set yourself up where you control your destiny and, and more than likely you should finish out un, uh, undefeated. But it, it, we all know that injuries happen and we, we all know adversity happens. And one of the things that makes college football so great is the uncertainty always will happen at some point. And, Oregon has to do their best to maneuver themselves so that late in November and in the month of November, they haven't had a blip yet because there could come one in in November. Yeah. And I think another one I'm just thinking about here is every time Oregon plays a game in the state of Arizona, whether it be Arizona or Arizona state, we should acknowledge the ducks do play Arizona. who I think people expect to be one of the worst, if not the worst team in the PAC 12 South. They do play in Tucson on October 31st. I think that uh, it's a Halloween game. Um, that's kind of scary too, not because they are, the, the Wildcats are like world beaters or anything, but you think about the fact that Oregon hasn't gone in to Tucson and won a game down there. I'm looking through here. Um, it's been a minute. You know, they, they lost in 2018, 44-15. Remember that? Um, you have to go back, boy, all the way to 2000. No. Yeah, you have to go back all the way to 2011 for the last Oregon win in Tucson. That kind of surprises me. I'm doing this on the fly here, so maybe I'm missing something. But, yeah, I think that's correct because there was a break in games here um, in 2016 and 17. So Oregon hasn't won in Tucson for nine years. So maybe that's another one just to be aware of, although I think we both agree Arizona probably won't have the talent or the dogs to do it. But it seems like strange things happen when Oregon heads down there. So second question from Jay Brooks 31 
besides Moorhead and Avalos, which assistant coach or coaches will be highly sought after next off season? Continuing, what would it take for those coaches to leave? I think this is an interesting question um, from Jay Brooks, 31. I think Oregon staff in general has a lot of attractive names looking through it. And obviously the coordinators are where you start, but those aren't available for our choosing here. So I'll pick one and then I'll toss a couple over to you, Matt, here. But I, I just think we don't know a lot about him, so maybe this is what makes him intriguing. But the new receivers coach, Ryan McClendon, I look at him and go, his recruiting chops, his experience as an offensive coordinator recently at South Carolina, I think there's going to be some people following him pretty closely here. And I'm going to guess he'll have some opportunities. Maybe it won't be after one season because it's a pretty quick stay, but I just look at him as somebody that I think you have to be aware of what his history is coaching in the SEC um, his recruiting chops down there. I think that's going to be somebody that will at some point be a difficult coach to, to keep around here. Um, I, I think a couple of names that show up for me are Brian McClendon, the receivers coach, mm-hmm. um, a guy that is, has the, has a reputation of you know being one of the best recruiters in the country. And he's, he has no ties out West prior, right. prior, prior to Oregon. So, I mean, he's predominantly coached and he played and grew up in kind of the, the you know, the Southern part of our country, um, Georgia. I believe he's coached in South Carolina. I believe that he's also coached, I think maybe in Florida. Um, and so he has, he has a reputation of, of being back East and, Who's to say that – let's just assume here for a second that Oregon in the 2021 class signs Keon Ware-Hudson, Troy Franklin, uh, Xavier Worthy, and Dante Thornton, and then Oregon on the football field in 2020 sees you know Johnny Johnson p- produce a 1,000-yard season and, and get drafted. And then we, we see maybe Jalen Red and Micah Pittman – and Devin Williams all have over 700 yards receiving uh, each in, in 2020. And Oregon's offense is prolific. Who's to yeah. say, you know, uh, a, a Georgia State or some other, some other school back east in the, and in the south will look at McClendon and say, hey, let's, let's hire somebody that's got ties to this amazing offense at Oregon that has extremely strong recruiting reputations and is from our area, let's hire him to become our offensive coordinator. Um, I think what would constitute someone leaving is more responsibility and money and job title. Like I, and Oregon, Oregon can for sure counter one of those. They can give more money. Um, obviously right now, they're in a hiring freeze, so they, you know, they can't, but pretty much everyone across the country right now is in a hiring freeze. But if, if things were normal, um, Oregon can counter back with more money. They can get creative with responsibilities and titles, but at the end of the day, if you're the receivers coach and the passing game coordinator, and you also have an offensive coordinator that's above you, you know, that's a, that's a title for, for money reasons only. And um, you can have equal shares and developing, you know, your passing attack and all of that. But 
when it comes down to it, if some other school comes to you and says, I know you're the passing game coordinator at, at Oregon, but would you like to be the South Carolina offensive coordinator? That, that's just going to hold a bigger, you know, cachet than run game coordinator or pass game coordinator or run defense coordinator or what have you, or assistant, you know, assistant defensive coordinator. Um, so I, 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 I look at Avalos. Yeah. I look at Moorhead as guys that could jump up to become head coaches. Um, no one else out there in my mind screams head coach right now, because uh, the only way they would take it is if they were, you know, you, position coaches become head coaches usually at, you know, going from power five to group of five. Um, maybe, maybe that happens, but I, I, I won't project that, but I could see a, a McClendon be a hot name. I, I could see a Ken Wilson, um, Keith Hayward for sure. You know, that's, that's, that's someone that wants to be an offense coordinator and that has gone on a record saying he wants to be a head coach. So, you know, uh, you're right, though. Like, Oregon staff as a whole is going to be highly sought after. And, and Duck fans should get used to the idea that every year there's probably going to be some kind of a coaching change. Yeah, and I think outside of McClendon, who I think we're in agreement is probably the name just to watch um, in general. I also think you look at Hayward and Salovea, two guys who you, we talked about other schools being able to offer better titles. I mean, let's be real about what Salovea and Hayward are at Oregon. I mean, they have all the titles. I mean, Salovea has like four titles. I've got the, the, the coaching sheet pulled up. He's associate head coach, co-defensive coordinator, run game coordinator, and defensive line coach. That's, he's got all the titles. They can't really add any more. So if a school were to counter, and again, Matt's right. I think these are coaches that would be either taking full on de- defensive coordinating jobs at maybe other power five schools or would be head coaches at smaller schools, whether that be outside of the power five or maybe not even D one or, or, or something around there. That's the kind of level they would probably be going to be head coaches. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they would have an opportunity to, to coach at a small power five school. I don't know, but I wouldn't imagine that, but I, I look at them as you look at the titles and Hayward as assistant head coach, co-defensive coordinator and safeties coach. Um, all, both of them are, are carrying three to four titles. Um, other schools w- would be able to potentially give them a better title than what I think Oregon can offer because let's be real, Oregon has its defensive coordinator and Andy Avalos, and unless that changes, um, neither Salavea or Hayward are taking that position. So um, I, I think interesting, and I think Matt's right in terms of you have to enter off seasons with the expectation that there might be turnover and that there likely will be at, at least overtures made at coaches because Oregon has that kind of staff, which is the reason why they're, they're competing for Pac-12 championships and, and dominating the Pac-12 on the recruiting is, is because the staffs are, are so good. All right, third question from Timber Jeff. Recently saw an ESPN interview with Notre Dame's Brian Kelly. He talked about how COVID-19 has impacted preparation with cancellation of practices and how that may cause teams to have to start the season with very basic offensive schemes. With our new offense having had limited time and reps thus far, how do you see that impacting the installation of the new offense? Will Coach Moorhead start off with some really basic play calling since the RPO offense relies so much on the players getting the timing and reps needed to execute execute it flawlessly? I think that's a really good question from Timber Jeff. Um, We did get, and I was looking through and and trying to remember what had been said, and we did get some comment from Cristobal back in May about installing the offense during the spring. And he said they were hoping to have two installation periods during the spring and each would take six practices. So basically 12 practices would be used for two installation 
groupings, I guess, and then three additional practices culminating with the spring game where they would obviously be the ultimate dress rehearsal of what the offense was. None of that happened. Um, at the same time, Cristobal did communicate confidence about the direction of where things were going. He said the command of the system was completely on pace. We're going to ramp up with the old school cliff notes and go really fast because we're going to be we granted a certain amount of time. I'm sure it won't be a ton, but we'll handle, but we'll be able to handle it whatever is thrown our way. So Cristobal is acknowledging this point. And I do think it's an important point, especially for a school like Oregon, which is implementing a new offense. And it's not just a new offensive coordinator. And I think a good point by Timber Jeff here on the RPO of that is a timing reliant you know, portion of the offense. And it's a big portion of the offense for based upon what we have heard from Joe Moorhead and Mario Cristobal so far, that the RPO is going to be a huge component of the running game and the passing game. So do they have those things figured out right now? We don't have entire answers to that, but we do know the fact that they lacked those 11 spring practices will impact that. Um, and, and the other part is we do also know during spring, they were at least working on those sorts of things while we watched. So that's a positive, but I don't know, Matt, do you have concerns about this? I think you have to have some concerns, right? In terms of the, they've only had four practices. They should have had 11 more. Um, and we don't know exactly what fall camp is going to look like either. Yeah, that's why, I, 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 yes, I have concerns without a doubt of what is happening and how Oregon can get themselves prepared for the football season. But that's also why, because of all these spring practices that were shut down, mm -hmm. not just at Oregon, but across the country, uh, many schools didn't even partake in spring football. Sure. Um, the NCAA has revised their 2020 summer access and preseason concept in their calendar for this very purpose. And the month of July to from the 13th until the 23rd is uh, viewed as a summer access period. Student athletes may engage in eight hours of weight training, conditioning, film review, no more than two hours um, of film review per week. So, you know, you're, you're getting, you're, you're getting um, your athletes into a situation where they can now with coaches do some film review for about, for about 10 days. And then in July, 24th to August 6th football programs will have the ability to do walkthroughs and, and meetings with their team. So 20 hours of countable per week related activities, which allow up to eight hours per week for weight training, conditioning, and film review. Uh, you can do up to one hour per day for a walkthrough, no more than six hours per week, which include the use of a football. Um, so you're actually walking through your, your schemes. Uh, and then you also get one hour per day for meetings, no more than six hours per week, which may include team meetings, position meetings, one-on-one -on -one meetings, et cetera. So for two weeks, Oregon will get a couple, you know, some days in July where they can walk through the schemes and, and they can, they can, this is why we're going to do this. We're going to, and we're going to, walk through the execution of this play on a football field with a football with coaches, and then they can go back and they can watch the film of it. And then preseason will start late, uh, early August, August 7th, 29 days before the first contest of that team's games, so Oregon plays on September 5th. They would then be able to get 
out on the football field for full regular practice and all the requirements that come with that on August 7th. So you're not getting the, the spring practices and you're not getting exactly what a spring practice would, would have been like, but you're still getting about three weeks of work with your coaching staff, watching film with coaches, watching, you know, doing some, some stuff on the field with coaches um, and being able to, to at least kind of catch back up a little bit. Um, so I, I think there will be some growing pains for Oregon because yes, they are installing a new offense and they're having to install a new offense with a lot of new starters, Yeah, but they do get at least a little bit extra time with the staff in a period in which honestly, like when you're doing your walkthroughs, that's going to be you know, valuable because it's literally just a learning teaching situation. It's you're not, you're, you're not going super fast. So it's all about learning and making sure you memorize and, and get down the principles of whatever scheme that they're, they're practicing on at that one particular time. And I think one thing I should say is, is when, we do see this team against North Dakota state and the, let's say the offense looks freaking awesome right away. I think that'll be a really early indication of just how special Joe Moorhead is, is if this offense comes out in that opening game against North Dakota state has won three straight FCS championships and they're just running on full steam and, and everything looks like a well-oiled machine. And here, of course, I don't know if this will be the case, but if that does take place, I guess is what I'm saying. You feel really, really good about this hire. I think you feel really good about this hire regardless, but if they come out and it looks seamless right from the start given what we know about the limitations in spring and Matt just did a great job of running through what they can do this summer and fall but if they come out and they look they look like they've got it figured out pretty good and the the, the number of miscues is minimal minimal um, I think you're going to feel really really good about Joe Moorhead after just the first game which is something you typically aren't able to assess after one game I know they would learn a lot more in the subsequent weeks against maybe better competition but you'll get a pretty good idea right away, I think, of just how adept Joe Moorhead has been at installing this offense and getting his players to buy in. And you don't want to create a, uh, an excuse or a crutch or what have you, but sure. I think Moorhead is in a perfect scenario because if they come out, like you said, and they're gangbusters, it, it, it just speaks to the volume of how good of a coach maybe Joe Moorhead is. But right. if, if they don't, I think everyone's going to be kind of understanding where at least I would hope that everyone's kind of understanding of why the offense maybe isn't clicking because they didn't have a typical off season that you would be able to have. And it has prevented some learning and it could put Oregon, you know, behind schedule. It probably has put Oregon behind schedule a little bit. Don't expect fans to be reasonable after the first game, Matt. If they, if, they, if, they, if they lay an egg against North Dakota State and the offense looks bad, I don't expect very many reason, much reasonable discourse on the, the message, but I'm sure some people will, but there will be a lot of people very frustrated. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Odds Not Audible's podcast. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. So I'm a father of what? I gotta find a babysitter. I found care.com and I was blown away. Through the platform, I was able to find local and experienced candidates along with their reviews and rates, which were way more affordable than I anticipated. Care.com really put me at ease knowing that they were all required to go through a background check. If you're like me and you need to find someone reliable for your childcare necessities, check out care.com. Find the ideal sitters for your childcare needs. Welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Bray, Mark Scopoltz with me always. Uh, three questions in on this podcast, three more to go. Yeah, fourth one from Hayduck. Who all starts on offense this year? And with the wide receivers, who are the top six receivers? Can Will Hoyt Waters make some noise? What about Chris Hudson? I mean, a good question here from Hayduck. I will run through my projected deep, too deep, which I should say I – posted um, shortly after spring was canceled, but not much here is going to change because there haven't really been any significant additions besides Anthony Brown. And I'll start there. I'm still leaning on the fact that I think Tyler Shuck will be the starting quarterback. Um, I think Brown will challenge him, but I still give Shuck the, I guess the one a to Brown's one B title um, at running back. I still think it's CJ Verdell at wide receiver. I have Johnny Johnson and Devin Williams out wide and Jalen red in the slot. Um, I'm not super confident at tight end. I think that's the one position, one of two positions, I think in particular that I can really say, I, I don't have a great grasp. I don't think anybody does, but I, I think it's between Hunter Campmore, Cam McCormick and Spencer Webb, uh, left tackle. We all know this one is Penny Sewell. I think left guards, the offensive line position that I'm probably along with center, I guess those two are the ones I'm least confident in, but I, I will take, I guess I'll take TJ Bass to, to win that job over San Patasi. Um, and then at center, I still think Alex Forsyth ends up winning that job. And we should note if Forsyth doesn't win at center, he could factor in maybe at that left guard or even the right guard spot as well. Um, at right guard, I have Malasala Amave Laulu. Um, I think he was the clear cut guy all, all spring at right guard and, and the same at right tackle. Stephen Jones was pretty clearly the top guy there. So that would be my run through on the two deep Matt. I know, I just ran through it all. I don't know if you listened to and caught up with it. Is there anything I said that you significantly disagree with or are you pretty much in agreement with kind of what I laid out? Yeah, I think that's pretty much in, I would pretty much agree with that. Um, 
a tight end, like you said, it, it's it's completely up in the air. Um, yeah. I mean, you could you could say Campmore because he started seven games last year, and he's the guy that's shown that he's healthy. But we've also known that, you know, when healthy, McCormick beat out Jacob Breland, who's been the starter the last two seasons for Oregon uh, at the tight end position, three seasons even. Yeah. Um, and but McCormick's issue is he's not healthy. But then we also know that you know Spencer Webb is uber talented and he's actually started a game last year and uh, maybe Patrick Herbert pushes himself into the mix as a redshirt freshman. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I think every other spot is pretty much kind of locked in for, um, at least the, the two names at, at each position. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. Um, I, I, you could certainly argue, you know, who starts is it Jay, is it Tyler Shuck or, 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 is an Anthony Brown at quarterback. You you could argue who starts at center, Ryan Walker, Alex Forsyth, Jonathan Dennis. Um, you know, you, you could run through a, you know, a couple guys, but I, I agree. Like the, each position's too deep is kind of set right now. It feels like, and it feels more like who's going to position and jockey themselves either as the one or, or the two guy at that position. It's not this simple, but I, I would say I feel pretty comfortable at most positions besides quarterback, tight end, left guard, and center with what I've said. I think the wide receiver stuff, there can definitely be some mixing and matching there. I wouldn't be surprised if, if that moves around a little bit too. But I think the real position battles to watch this fall um, are at quarterback, tight end, and then those two interior line spots in, uh, at left guard and center. I think that's where um, there is probably the most uncertainty. And then the second part of the question, really quickly, looking at the wide receiver, the top six, uh, I, I did a – spring position review for every position group last month and I put my spring wide receiver story out on May 26th but uh, at the bottom of it I put out my my top my two deep I guess for wide receivers so I'll just reiterate this um, I have Devin Williams and Brian Addison at one and outside wide receiver um, spot kind of as the first and second team guy um, Addison backed up Williams and also spent a little time with the first team during spring but we should mention Jalen Red didn't practice at all um, and that kind of they moved some guys around. Johnny Johnson and Micah Pittman were working in the slot, and that kind of screwed up, I think, some of the outside stuff. But um, I feel pretty good about those two guys being in that top six group. I think the slot, I feel really good about saying Jalen Red and Micah Pittman in some order will be in there. And I think Johnny Johnson is clearly feels pretty safe to say he's going to be one of those starters. I think who's behind him for maybe that sixth spot is where things kind of would get interesting for me. I think you have a group of guys like Chris Hudson, who you mentioned, um, Lance Wilhoit, J.R. Waters were also mentioned. I think Josh Delgado's name can't be totally forgotten. Um, and I'll include Isaiah Crocker here um, because he is a scholarship wide receiver. Um, he's, and he's only a freshman, but there's just a lot. Uh, I guess he's now a redshirt sophomore, but there's just a lot of uncertainty about what his role will be after a couple of years in the program. So I think Williams, Addison, Johnson, Red, and Pittman, uh, those are to me feel like pretty clear cut top five. And of course, things are subject to change in the fall. Some guys, younger guys might be ready to make a huge. Huge jump here. Um, I think that sixth spot is where you have a lot of guys kind of pushing for for reps potentially. Yeah, I, I think the receiver spot. There's a lot of it, it, there's like two tiers. Like we we feel right. very good about Johnny Johnson, very good about Jalen Red, very good about Micah Pittman. Um, but then there's another tier where you feel like these guys are going to play, but it's up in the air for who emerges as maybe you know that next tier and it includes Devin Williams. It includes Brian Addison and it includes Josh Delgado, David Davis, Will Hoyt waters. Um, you know, and then does, does Crocker get into that mix? I mean, yeah, he's an interesting one. 
He only he's only played in one game at Oregon. Yeah. He redshirted in 2018, 2019 as a redshirt freshman. He played in one game. And so where does Isaiah Crocker, a former four-star receiver, fit into the mix at the at that spot? And so I, I, they, they've got options, and they've got a lot of players at that position. But um, it, it's going to be interesting to see um, where does a Chris Hudson fit mm-hmm. into this mix. Does, does he fit into that slot, and is there enough playing time with Jalen Red and Micah Pittman and now Chris Hudson in, in the mix as well. So uh, there, there's two tiers, and, and I, I think we'll see a couple guys from that second tier move into that first one where you just definitively know that guy's going to play and that guy's going to produce. But it's, it's who are those guys are up in the air. I think I'm comfortable putting Devin Williams in the tier one of I think really? he's ready to produce. Just based, he was the, he was with the ones during the spring. Um, I, I I you know and I, of course he is the least comfortable because he hasn't. I'm the least comfortable putting him in that group. I think he'd be the fringe fifth guy probably. Even though I think he has a pretty good chance to start. Um, but you're right. We haven't seen it from on the field. And what he did at USC isn't like doesn't. <laughs> it's not super inspiring his stats at USC. Although we know what USC had at wide receiver there with potentially like three or four guys that are going to be early NFL draft picks. So, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's interesting. And, and just a thought on Isaiah Crocker is like, I, I don't give up on him, even though he hasn't shown anything. He's only been in Oregon two years. Anybody who watched him in high school knows he has some talent. So um, I know people kind of, it's, it's easy to do that to kind of just throw him out because he, he hasn't produced in a couple of years, but he was a highly regarded four-star recruit. And I still remember watching him up at the opening. Um, an opening that also had Devin Williams, but just thinking Crocker was was really an impressive uh, athlete, especially in terms of his ability to get open with with route running in his hands. So I think he can't. I know, I know I'm spending time talking on like the 11th receiver on the on the roster, but um, I don't think you can fully give up on a player like him. So fifth question from Southern Duck: How do you see our enormous offensive line gelling with an up tempo offense that Moorhead is bringing in? Fatigue and such. I think actually an interesting question um i hadn't really spent a lot of time considering that part of it is a larger offensive line and we should at least especially acknowledge like when oregon was really running up tempo with chip kelly and mark kelfrich you know in the middle early parts of the 2010s and in the middle part the offensive lines were much smaller than what you're seeing from a physicality you know from size currently and we also don't know if Moorhead is intent on going like that warp speed no huddle offense. I think it's going to be an up-tempo offense, but I don't think we can I, – I mean, maybe I'll be wrong here, and it'll look similar, but I don't expect it to be that breakneck of pace. But, but these are much bigger people. I mean, you look at, across this – I mean, Oregon could start three guys that are 330 and above, um, and I don't think Oregon was regularly starting anyone around that weight range, you know, about in 2015 or 2014. Um, so there, I think you do have to be concerned with fatigue, and you also have to be concerned about conditioning in general right now. And I know they're, they're meeting – in the next week or so here to start summer conditioning. But like these guys haven't been in that same kind of weight training. Are they going to be able to turn this around in a short period of time? My confidence level is very high just because I think Oregon's strength and conditioning program has proven time and time again to be one of the best in the country. I think Aaron Feld has shown that and has been a tremendous asset. So I don't have a ton of concerns about their fitness levels, but I do think it is something to be aware of. And maybe this will be something where we see a little bit more of a rotation. And so it makes sense given some of these position battles that maybe we will see, um, you know, five starters, but it's seven or eight guys that are routinely, at least in that rotation. I will note that we've seen some pretty big transformations. True. Since 
guys have shown up on campus from Oregon's offensive line. I mean, Penny Sewell showed up and has gotten bigger, um, but he was just already a freak. But I look at a guy like Alex Forsyth. I look at someone like Malasala, Mave Lau. Um, I look at Stephen Jones and think those are three guys that are all probably in some form of way going to start in 2020 and mm-hmm. all have 100% transformed their bodies. I mean, Malasala in particular. Yeah, no um, I, I mean, Jones too. Jones was like almost 400 pounds when he showed up. And to, to my, my knowledge, he's now somewhere uh, around like 330 and has, you know, I think he was, 355 actually. 355. Wow. Let me pull that up for sure. Um, but I just, I, I remember him being, you know, at that like 385 type number. And even if it is 355, he's dropped 30 pounds since he's yeah. shown up. And we also, you and I also know just by looking at him from when he was a redshirt freshman or true freshman in the 2018 season, that this was a guy that literally looks different now and yeah. from, from spring ball. Like he, he may be heavier or may, you know, than, than he looks, but he is slimmed down. And Malasala is another one where I remember, Eric, when we went and first saw the first spring, the first spring practice, we were blown away at how thin and fit he looked, you know, compared to what he was a year ago. I looked it up. Stephen Jones listed at 349 on the roster. So you're right. Still about, that's a close to a 40 pound weight loss. Um, and, and that's a huge difference. And I'm trying to remember the exact number. I, I can probably find it. I know I reported on it, but Cristobal was talking about this with Malasala during last fall camp. I think Malasala he lost like 30 pounds and then put it back on in muscle. I was going to say it might've been like 50. It was like a crazy number. Yeah. And then he put, and then you re, I think he like cut 50 and added 25 or 30 back in, in muscle. So you're right in terms of the body transformations are possible. Um, and if this is going to be a thing, I'm sure the staff is very aware of this, clearly. If, if they are going to be playing an up-tempo, that's going to be strenuous for, for this offensive line. I'm sure there is a ton of focus during this off-season conditioning program uh, to kind of get those guys settled, you know, settled in and prepared for that. Um, you don't want to be in a spot where your offensive line can't keep up with tempo, obviously. All right, sixth and last question from WC Lady. And we should mention she's been the MVP of our message board. Um, over the last couple of months. So she deserves a question in here. Scholarship numbers are tight for 2021. How many do you think we end up signing? Um, I think, Matt, we've, we've talked about this, I know, on the Troy Franklin podcast last week. Um, what number do you kind of see being realistic? What's your range? For the full class, I, I, I'm thinking it's, it's going to be somewhere between 20 and maybe 23 or 24. Maybe, I mean, maybe 25, maybe. And that's going to that's gonna take a couple guys going pro early. That's yeah. going to take a couple guys transferring out of the program, uh, a couple guys maybe, you know, retiring from football for whatever reason. Basically, it's going to require, multi, you know, three to four to five players to come out on top of Penny Sewell and, come, and, and probably Javon Holland too to come out and say, we don't, we are not going to finish our four years at Oregon. We're going somewhere else, whether that's the pros or another school. Um, they're going to need, you know, three to four to five guys to, to do that. So uh, I, right now I look at it and think 21, maybe it can get to 25 depending on how many uh, roster defections that they're going to be. And look, 
I'm not going to come out here and say that um, uh, that I expect this guy and that guy to, to transfer out of the program because that's not fair. Um, we don't have any concrete information. Yeah. But you look at the history of football, not just not at Oregon, just in college football, and every year there are schools will across the board deal with transfers. It, it's just it, it it happens when you have eighty five scholarship guys. It happens, and it's nothing negative on the program. It's nothing negative on the player, but players want to play, and there will be guys that will show up that that won't get to, and they'll move on because they want to play. And so we'll see that play out. It's just how how much of that will we see? All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Mailbag edition. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you soon. For Matt Prem and Eric Scopel, we'll see you soon. Talk to you later, fellas. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.